Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show.
What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Thursday. It is the 28th of September, which means it's almost October, which means probably more rain, to be fair. Uh, Last night, we had EFL Cup games, nine of them. Liverpool 3, Leicester City 1. Leicester went 1-0 up through Casey McAteer. Liverpool roared back. Probably should have scored a couple of goals, at least in the first half. But managed three in the second half. Cody Gakbo, a rocket from Zabozlai, and Diogo Jota giving them a comfortable win. Blackburn Rovers, five. Cardiff City, two. Jake Garrett put Blackburn one up. Callum Robinson equalised. Arnor Sigurdsson put Blackburn two one up. And Etete equalised just before half time. Then two quick goals from Andrew Moran. And a late goal, well, not late, 70 minutes, from Dylan Marcande gave Blackburn what was a comfortable win in the end. Two goals and two assists from Andrew Moran. You've heard me talk about him before. He's one of the great hopes of Irish football. Super talented player. Good to see him doing well at Blackburn. Moving on, Lincoln City nil, West Ham 1. Thomas Suchek with the only goal of the game there for the Hammers. Chelsea won. Brighton nil. Nicholas Jackson with the only goal of the game. Wasn't a particularly good game of football. Brighton went with a fairly heavily rotated team, but did have a number of starters, including Stupinen and Matoma down the left-hand side. They did create some half chances, but just couldn't quite open up a fairly stubborn Chelsea defence Notable that there was no Thiago Silva. Um, Bournemouth 2, Stoke City 0. Dom Solanke and Joe Rothwell with two quick-fire goals in the second half to send the Cherries through. Arsenal 1, well, Brentford 0, Arsenal 1. Reese Nelson with the only goal of the game. A little bit fortunate not to see that game go to penalties. Brentford had a couple of decent chances and just didn't take them. Here's a surprise. Aston Villa 1, Everton 2. James Garner scored early. Dominic Calvert-Lewin scored early in the second half. Bubakar Kamara got one back for Villa, but they couldn't find an equaliser and Everton go through. Fulham 2, Norwich City 1. Carlos Vinicius and Alex Awobi put Fulham 2-0 up. Borja Sainz pulled one back, but Norwich couldn't find the equaliser. And then in the marquee game of the evening... Newcastle won, Manchester City nil, Alexander Isak with the only goal of the game. And City's hopes of a quadruple are over. Uh, so they'll just have to settle for a potential treadle again this year. So the two in advance, which I got, did get that one right, and they will face Manchester United in the next round. United drawn at home for the 12th time in a row in a domestic cup. 12 draws, 12 games at home. That's a little bit spooky to me. That's a little bit unusual to have that level of luck with the draws. And then I saw United fan say that, yeah, but we've always played Premier League clubs in our draws. This is over the last three seasons. So I thought, well, that's definitely not right. Let me go and see how easily disprovable 
that claim is. So in the 21-22 season, when this would have begun, uh, Manchester United were drawn at home to Aston Villa, who were a Premier League team, just not a very good one, and at home to Middlesbrough, who were a championship team. That's in the FA Cup. In the League Cup, they were drawn at home to West Ham. So that was a Premier League team. So we've got two Premier League teams and one lower league team. Of those Premier League teams, one of them was a top half team. The other was a bottom half team. Then last season, if we have a quick look, Everton, they were in the bottom five when they played. Reading, lower league. West Ham, they were in the bottom six when they played. And Fulham who were top half. So they get one top half team and two lower half teams, but another lower league team in Reading. So that's two after Middlesbrough. And then in the League Cup last season, uh, Aston Villa, they were garbage when they played, bottom bottom four, bottom five. Uh, Burnley, lower league team. Charlton, lower league team. And then the Nottingham Forest one is a, is a two-legged affair. But... We now have four of the 12 where they were lower league teams. So not all Premier League teams and obviously very few good teams. I mean, West Ham in 21-22, the best team they've been drawn to face. Even in the Cup semi-final in the FA Cup, they got Nottingham Forest. So not exactly the best of opposition. Anyway, Manchester United versus Newcastle. Chelsea versus Blackburn Rovers. Bournemouth versus Liverpool. Everton versus Burnley. West Ham versus Arsenal. Mansfield versus Port Vale. So we'll have at least one lower league team in. Exeter versus Middlesbrough. So we'll have at least two lower league teams in. And then Ipswich versus Fulham. Now we would expect that Chelsea will beat Blackburn. But I don't know that I would expect Fulham to go to Ipswich and beat them. So we could well end up in the last eight with three lower league teams. We'll have at least two in the competition and we'll have one of Everton or Burnley who are, you know, basically glorified championship caliber teams. So for the winner of Manchester United, Newcastle, for the winner of West Ham, Arsenal, potentially for Chelsea, potentially for Liverpool, this competition could break quite well. And they might be able to work their way to a final without facing anybody particularly strong. Now, United, Newcastle is a tough one. I would fancy Newcastle, they're clearly the better team, but United at home have a pretty good record. And Eddie Howe's, there's a little bit of cowardice in him when it comes to big games away from home. Just a little bit. So we'll see. But I back Newcastle to get through. I think Chelsea go through, Liverpool go through, Everton at home go through. West Ham Arsenal will be tough because Moyes might well go full strength. Arsenal have bigger priorities. I'd still fancy Arsenal to get through. Um, I don't know between Mansfield and Port Vale. I'd fancy Borough over Exeter because they're level a level above. Um, 
And I actually do fancy Ipswich to knock out Fulham, but but if Fulham go full strength, then that makes it a different thing. So that's where we sit with the League Cup. Uh, questions. So, uh, David Townsend, just watch that Thomas Brolin goal from Euro 92. Sounds like Martin Tyler on commentary. It is Martin Tyler on commentary. And you can hear the joy sap from his voice as he announces that it's glorious. There's a chap, and I can't think of his first name, but his surname is Cantwell. Andy Cantwell, I think. And he does, like, mimes over... Is it Mimes? Would that be right? He acts out basically Martin Tyler over the track of Tyler's commentary. And it's brilliant. I'd love to see him do it for that that tournament in general. But that goal in particular, because it's an amazing goal. Like It really is an amazing goal. The two given goals, the on the angle, and the finish is spectacular. And Tyler has to make it clear this is an amazing goal we've just seen but you can tell he's not at all happy um back 1977 has there ever been a club who have been so ignorantly offensive to a star player the way napoli have with Osman? so this is this is strange it's such an unusual situation this is obviously a social media employee like uh, obviously a Napoli employee in their social media department who's posted these things. And the fact that Napoli haven't come out and first announced that that person has been fired and secondly apologised profusely to the player is just very, very weird. It's very, very weird. I don't really understand what they're doing because they're just hurting themselves. You've got one of the very best players in world football there. One of the best nines in the world after Haaland, probably the best number nine around right now. And truthfully, he's a much better all round player than early Haaland. Um, And this is how you're behaving. It's really, really strange. Like they won the title last year. And everything they've done since has been a step backwards. Like, they also renewed the manager's contract, Spalletti, without telling him they were doing it because there was an option in his contract. And his reaction was, well, like, if you don't ask me first, I'm not interested. So he's gone. And then you appoint... Rudy Garcia, who, like, there was a time when Rudy Garcia was a very promising young manager. But it's a long time ago. He was back at Lille. He was on the up then. He'd done pretty well in a couple of jobs before that at Dion and Le Mans. Goes to Lille, does really well. Goes to Roma. It doesn't go all that well. Like, that's probably... It was to that point the highest win percentage you'd ever had, but playing a lot of draws, it didn't go well. He goes to Marseille. He's average at Marseille. He goes to Lyon. He's average with Lyon. He's won nothing 
since winning the title with Leo 12 years ago. And he walked out on Leon to go to Saudi, which is just a little bit strange. And then Al Nazir didn't want him after a year. Now, I assume, I assume Cristiano was behind that decision, that Cristiano just, just didn't get on with him. Now, I don't blame Cristiano for that. I think it's the right decision to move on from a manager uh, who, especially one like him, who's not very good. Um, I don't understand his appointment as Napoli manager. I really don't. I'm sure he's a really good guy. I'm sure he's a really, really good guy. But he's not the manager suited to taking over the reigning league champions. And then you get the the double whammy of their sporting director leaving. Uh, he disappears off to join Juventus, Gentili. They appoint Mauro Melosu. And, I mean, I, I don't... He'd been at Spezia in his last job for one year and had been out of work for two years. Before that, he was at Lecce for four years. Before that, he was at Cosenza for two years. Like, there's nothing in his track record that suggests he's the guy to take on that role because what won them the title was that incredible window that Gentili put together. And I don't really understand Cristiano Gentili. I don't really understand the the decision to replace him with someone who was out of work for two years and has never man- never managed a top team. He's never been overseeing a club the size of Napoli. And my assumption is that this is the president making this decision to bring in a couple of patsies. Because, you know, he's delivered the league title and now maybe he wants to pull back on things. Maybe he wants to, I don't know, maybe he wants to get some of his investment back. But even in the summer, like, the the transfers they made weren't good. I mean, Raspadori and Simeone played an important role last year. Those were obligations by those deals had to go through. Him and Jay, you couldn't stop him leaving because he had the buyout clause. But in terms of who they brought in, I mean, Nathan, it's a massive ask to ask a lad to come in from Brazil who's never been capped to come in and replace Kim Min Jae, who was one of the best centre-backs in Europe last year. Jens Kahust, I like. I think he's he's a talented player. Jesper Lindstrom, I like. I think he's a talented player. Ne- neither of them solved the issue that you had, which is that your defence needed some upgrading. You know, you needed an upgrade at left-back. You needed a new centre-back. And you didn't do it. You downgrade the manager, you downgrade the director of football. And now you're looking at potentially a situation where 
one of your two best players is terminally unhappy at the club and will force his way out. And Kvitsa doesn't look happy either. Kvitsa looked really unhappy and had words with the manager as he was taken off at the weekend. But like those two, Kvaratskhelia and Osman, they're what make you special. Without them, you're distinctly average. Alex Moret's a good goalkeeper. Ramani's a, a decent centre-back. Di Lorenzo's a decent right-back. Zielinski's a good player. is a, a very good player, to his credit. I've always been a fan of Zambo. He's a solid midfield, but without Kvitsa and without Austin, and that team is mid-table. And now both of them are unhappy, and you're not publicly groveling to Osman. That's such a such a bad move. Has the club in Europe ever been so ignorantly offensive? I would struggle to think of one. I would. I'd struggle to think of one. Um, Isaac Gilding. Waturo Endo's performance against Germany in the last international break looked look excellent, yet he has still looked a little bit off the pace for Liverpool. This was posted before last night's game when he had his best performance. It was a, it was a solid 7 out of 10, though. It wasn't, like, it wasn't Lothar Mateus against Yugoslavia in the 1990 World Cup, let's just say that. Uh, I like Endo and do think he can be extremely useful. He just looks... But this just does this just show how much worse international football is than even low-end league football, or is Endo still learning how to play for Liverpool? A little bit of from column B, but a lot from column A. International football is garbage. The pace of it is very, very slow. Players aren't as committed as they would be at club level. Managers don't have time to implement proper strategies. You see, if you're an international manager and you're getting players who are, let's let's just take for argument's sake, the England job. If you get players who've been coached by Klopp, Ten Hag, Potter, I know he's not there anymore, but I'm just thinking of last season, Eddie Howe, Pep, De Zerbi, who else was in the England squad last year? Uh, Conte, obviously, you're getting players who've been coached in very different ways, who are asked to play in very different ways, and who will have different levels of fitness. And I don't, I don't mean in terms of match fitness. I mean in terms of their fitness levels for things like high intensity pressing. You're just not, you're not able to cohesively put together a unit. Unless you're getting bunches of players from the same clubs, like what made the Spain team so special is it was largely Real and Barcelona players. So you were only just looking to mesh two ways of playing. But if you've got a national team where, let's say the players come from six or seven different clubs in terms of the starting 11 or the best 11, then it's very, very hard to put together a real way of playing that, that everybody's going to be suited to. 
So I do just think international football is is the bigger factor there. But look, he is still learning how to play for Liverpool. I think he's I think at times he was trying a little bit too hard in those early games. He seemed to settle down a little bit last night and he had a good solid game. Uh so hopefully he'll have a lot more like that. <clears throat> Second question. If you could go back in time and swap Totty for Gerard at the beginning of their careers, knowing they both reached the same levels they did, is that something you do? Oh wow. Totty or Gerard? I mean, my thing with Gerard has always been that as great as he was, I don't think he reached his full potential. Not because of him or anything he did or didn't do, but because of how he was developed. Like, I think if Alex Ferguson had gotten his hands on an 18-year-old Steven Gerrard. I think he would have developed him into the greatest central midfielder that English football had ever seen. But Julier didn't want to trust him in that central area when he was young. So he played him on the right quite a bit. And then when he'd play in the middle, he'd look out of sorts, because he didn't have the best tactical understanding of that role because he'd been developed somewhere else. Now, again, even that central midfield version of Gerard as a box-to-box player, you'd want him next to a sitter. You'd want him next to a Gilberto Silva type. Liverpool had Didi Hammond, so they had the, the right type of player to to really get the best out of him if they put him there at that point in his career. By the time Gerard, and then obviously Benitez comes in next, he inherits Gerard, decides to play him as a number 10 because he doesn't feel he can trust him in a double pivot. So he plays Alonso and he plays Haman there. And then he spends the entirety of Benitez's reign either 10 or right wing by the time Benitez leaves Gerard is 30 and he's not a central midfielder and you can go back and look at Gerard playing central midfield late in his career and the passing is great but from a defensive point of view he's in absolute shambles like if he can't leap in to big you know camera tackles He's he's basically a revolving door. He's like a turnstile. So I, I think there was a better version of Gerard. There's another version of Gerard where someone like Sven Jorn Eriksson gets him early and decides to develop him into a box midfield player from the left, not the right. Think Nedved. Lazio era, that type of development, that type of role. When Sven took over with England, that's where he intended to play Gerard. He intended to play Beckham in the right-sided box role, advanced, 
Gerard the left side advanced role, and then Paul Scholes and Owen Hargreaves in those deeper roles. But Hargreaves couldn't stay fit, and then Lampard came along and ruined the balance. And then Scholes retired, but he would have had Michael Carrick to step in there. But again, he didn't have didn't have Hargreaves, didn't have that kind of ratter, that ball winner. And then obviously Beckham declined in his career for whatever reason. Gerard and Lampard was always a clunky fit. And they ended up doing strange things like playing Gerard and Lampard as a double pivot or, you know, playing one of them left wing and a double pivot with whatever. But the box midfield, Beckham on the right, Gerard on the left, Scholes and Hargreaves, or even Scholes and Bolt at times, would have been the ideal for Sven. He just never got to not, never got to use it enough. Um, there are obviously examples where Gerard was good in a double pivot early in his career. Germany away in a in the, the 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 walloping is one example, but there's far more examples where he was poor. Champions League final first half against AC Milan, appalling. Second half an extra time playing as a 10, then playing as a wing back because he was used to playing wide. He was the best player on the pitch. Um, there are better versions of Gerard than what we saw, in my view, in alternative realities. I don't think there's a better version of Totti. I think Totti became the best player he could possibly be. So no, I wouldn't swap him. I wouldn't swap Gerard for Totti. I would swap the managers Gerard had. As much as I love Gerard Houllier for what he did for the club, I, I would swap him out for a different manager. Um, because then, by the time Benitez comes in, I think he's a different Gerard's a different player. And then that Gerard Alonso double pivot that so many people wanted to see might have worked. It might have been a thing that could have worked. From his era, who would I swap him for is the next question. Or is there a player I'd swap him for? I mean, he's born in 1980. So what's his, what can we define as his era? Zidane is too old. He's, he's a 71 or 72 bird. So it can't be Zidane, it can't be a Figo, it can't be Rivaldo. Now, I wouldn't swap him for Figo or, or Rivaldo, but I'm just naming names. Um, Ronaldinho is is one that uh, seems like yeah, he's he's an 80 birth as well. So Ronaldinho is one. I, even though his, his peak seemed to fizzle out. Like, if you consider what Ronaldinho was from about 2002, that last year with PSG, and then the five years with Barca, like, that that's a seven-year run. Six-year run. Six-year run. Five years with, with Barca. Um, and admittedly, the last season, he, he had some injuries. So even just take the first four years and the last year with PSG, where everything started to click into place from like that five years was outrageous. Outrageous. He was the best player on the planet for a couple of years. And Steven Gerrard, as great as he was, was never the best player 
on the planet. So Ronaldinho would be one. Um, Kaka is two years younger, but I would take the best version of Kaka over the best version of Gerard. Again, Kaka was the best player in the world uh, for a couple of years. And again, Stephen Gerrard was not. Um, let's see who else we can find. Footballers born in 19. We'll start with 79 and work. Actually, we'll start with 78. So we'll go two years, two years older and we'll work from there. Um, right. Who have we got? Uh, Gigi Buffon. We'll, we'll leave out goalkeepers because it's a silly debate. Uh, we'll start, we'll go with outfield players. Rio Ferdinand, definitely not. Lucio, definitely not. Carlos Puyol, no, but I do adore Carlos Puyol. He was a great defender. Uh, Gabriela Heinsett, no. Ricardo Carvalho, I love him, but no. Walter Samuel, love him, but no. I'm not really sure why Heinsett and Lucio were included above those two. Uh, Jamie Carragher and Captavia, no. Uh, midfielders, Gattuso, no. Stankovic, love him, but no. Lampard, definitely not. Juan Roman Raquelme. Uh, no. No, no, no. Uh, Jeremy, no. Ramadan, no. Basturk, no. And Harry Kuhl, no. Fords, Milos Klose, no. Didier Drogba, no. Uh, Luis Garcia and either Good Johnson, no. No, def- definitely not. Um, 79 then. Let's see. Again, we'll leave out the goalkeepers. Defenders, Rafael Marquez, no. Juan, definitely not. Abadal, definitely not. Tomashuk, Richard Dutton. No, these are these are dreadful. Andrea Pirlo. So there's one. Andrea Pirlo versus Gerard. I, I would take Gerard. Uh Damien Duff, no. Simao, no. Pablo Weimar, no. Claudio Pizarro, Paolo Ferreira, Martin Petrov, Tim Cahill, no. Diego Forlan, definitely not. Michael Owen. One of the, the great unfulfilled careers. That hamstring injury changed the course of history. If I could have a 17-year-old Owen or 17-year-old Gerard, I would rather the 17-year-old Owen. But overall, I'd say no. Uh, Diego Milita, uh, Milito, no. Uh, Olich Mutu and... Nico Anelka, definitely not. Um, Football was born in 1980 then. Defenders, John Terry, no. Christian Kivu, no. Metzhelder, no. Ashley Cole, no, but he's by far the best of that defensive group. Lugano, Gabriel Milito, uh, Miguel and John Anarisa, definitely not. 
Cambiaso no Javi. Javi's a very interesting one. I'm going to come back to that. Uh, Sado Kate, Thomas Rizicki, no. Emery, no. Seb Deisler. Seb Deisler was more technically talented than Gerard, but didn't have his engine, but was no slouch either. If I could have had, it, it, who knows? Deisler might have always been destined to for his things to go the way they did. Uh, Ronaldinho, yes, uh, is is a definite yes. Dirk Cout, no. Arango, Maluda, and Robbie Keane are all no. So we're going to come back to Xavi. Let me just carry on with this for a second. Um, we're in now to nineteen eighty one. Barzagli, no. Vidic, no. Mykon, no. Evra, definitely not. Colo Toure, Bruno Alves, John O'Shea and Maxwell, no. Xabi Alonso, we'll come back to that one. Michael Carrick, no, but Michael Carrick is the most underrated English player of all time. Uh, Alex Sleb, no. Gareth Barry, Parchi Song and Maxi Rodriguez, no. Um, Etu, no. David Villa, no. Zlatan. I'll come back to Zlatan. Joaquin Sanchez, Andrea Shaven, and Javier Saviola, they're all no's. So we'll do 82. Um, and we're coming back to three. Jagielka, definitely not. Colaccini, definitely not. Serna, I love them, but no. Uh, Julian Lescott, definitely not. Fleet Mexis, Naldo, Maggio, Basingua, all knows. Midfielder, Thiago Mata, no. Michael Essien, I'd consider. I'd consider, because Essien's such a special player. But probably no overall. Essien's a much better defensive player than Gerard. But Gerard was so special going forward that no, it has to be a no. Arteta's a no. Kaka's a yes. Joey Barton, Hamad Alton Top, Kim Castrell, and Stephen Pienaar are no. Cassano, no. Adriano, I'll come back to. Landon Donovan and Alberto Gilardino. So I've got five to go back to. So Zlatan is the first one we'll go back to. I mean, what a ridiculously well-rounded number nine. I've always wondered what Zlatan would have done if he'd come to the Premier League early in his career. Now, early in his career, despite his size and his technical ability, he could be a little bit lightweight at times because he was so big, but he was also quite lanky. He was knocked off the ball quite easily early in his career at Ajax and when he first went to Juve. But once he went to Inter and he got bigger and stronger, he was pretty much unstoppable. I would consider Zlatan for certain. I think ultimately I'd probably stick with Gerard. 
But I give Zlatan really strong consideration. It would be it would be very, very close. Now, the issue with Zlatan would be the personality and the, the want to, to move a fair bit. But the talent is is just undeniable. The uniqueness of the player is undeniable. Six five with that level of technical ability, strong as an ox, quick, great dexterity, unbelievable balance. You'd have to certainly give him really, really, really strong co- co- uh, consideration. Xavi Alonso, Xavi Alonso, better passer than Gerard. Cleverer than Gerard, better defensively than Gerard. Didn't have Gerard's explosiveness. Didn't have Gerard's versatility. A more polished player than Gerard. But I think I'd stick with Gerard. I think I would stick with Gerard. Um Who was next? Xavi Hernandez. Um, this is tough because I I think he is overrated in some quarters, but hugely underrated in others. Like you look at his career and you look at what he did, and the fact that he was always one of the best players in every team he played in but was never the best player in any team he played in. Like at Barca, they always had better players. For Spain, they always had better players. But he, like, there's often times where there's a crap player who's a regular in a team and he misses a couple of games and the team doesn't perform as well. It's because the player coming in doesn't have rhythm, isn't up to speed, and the players around him have to adapt to the different skill set that he brings to that role. If that player got 10 to 15 games in that role, the team would adapt and it would all run smoothly. But when they're in for a game, out for a game, in for a game, out for a game, it's easier for everyone else to adapt to the guy they know. But with Xavi, and so so that argument gets used, like Henderson's the prime example. Oh, Liverpool never look as good without him. First of all, horseshit. Secondly, the main reason there was often little glitches when Henderson was in the team is because Ox might not have played in two months or Cater might not have played in two months. So the team wasn't used to playing with them and they weren't up to speed. But if they got two or three games in a row, the team looked a lot better than it ever did with Henderson. But with Xavi, it is true that his teams missed him when he wasn't there. Because... He made himself so absolutely vital to those teams. He was the fulcrum of that Barcelona team. He was one of the leaders of that Barcelona team. He's one of the leaders of that Spanish team. And I mean real leadership, not not pretend leadership for the cameras, not PR. This guy did everything under the radar. And it's only afterwards you hear about the stuff that he did and the, the things he told players and how inspirational he could be. I think overall I'd stick with Gerard. 
because I, I do think you have to play a certain style for Xavi. Now, it's the style that he dictates. You're basically giving him the keys and it leads to that style. And I don't know that I trust Gerard in that way where I just say to Gerard, right, what, how do you want to play? That's how we'll play. But I think I'd stick with, I think I'd stick with Gerard. Adriano then is the last one. Now, other than the real Ronaldo, I don't know that I've ever seen a more talented striker than this fellow because he had everything. But he never had his head on straight. So to be fair, I'm actually just going to say no and, and call it there. Zlatan is the one I, I, I'm torn on. I'm really torn on Zlatan. I think he's... I don't think we'll ever see a player like Zlatan again. Who had that entire combination of size, speed, skill, strength, technical ability... toughness, aggression, mindset. There's a reason Zlatan's teams won every single year, year upon year upon year. And he's a huge part of that. Like back-to-back two Eredivisie titles in three years. Back-to-back Serie A titles with Juve. Three in a row then with Inter. So you're talking six titles in a row, a seventh with Barca, an eighth with Milan, then he doesn't win the title, then he rattles off four more with PSG admittedly, but Kaka and Ronaldinho are yeses. And Zlatan, I, I think it's a coin toss. Because Gerard's a unique player as well. But I don't think he's as unique as Zlatan was. Don't think there's anyone else that I would... That's going from 78 to 82. Gerard's an 80 birth, so it's a fairly big scale. Uh, 83, just because we might as well. Pepe, no. He's still playing. Uh, Daniele De Rossi I adore but no um, I would have loved to have seen him play with Gerard though Danny Alves definitely not uh, Shirkov no Heitinger no Font no Bakari Sanya no Arbolo no Philippe Lam no but great player Yaya Toure no Van der Vaart no Gabi Genus Morales no Charisma no Ribery, I love, but no, and Van Persie's a no. And F. Dempsey and Klassian Huntler are all no's. And we'll just go one more year. We'll do 1977. Um, I can already see a bunch of no's lining up here. Uh, Olaf Melberg, no. William Gallas, no. Willie Sanyol, no. Zambrotta, no. Uh, Chris Sylvester, no, absolutely not. Van Bommel, definitely not. Hassan Salahamazic, no. Deco, no. 
Albelda, Manish, and Simone Parata, no. Thierry Henry, yes. Thierry Henry, I would. Luca Toni, no. Lumberg, Dinatali, and Trezeguet, no's. But we've got one more to consider here, and that's Raul. So we've got three yeses in Henri, Ronaldinho, and Kaka. Zlatan is a coin toss. Raul, I, I adored this fella. Like, you go back to the 90s, this guy, this guy was one of the best players in the world from the mid-90s through the mid-2000s. Then he had a couple of seasons of decline, and then he roared back in the late 2000s. But from from 95-96 through to the end of 03-04, he was just... He was undeniably world-class. Undeniably world-class. Creative, brilliant finisher. Maybe the smartest front player I've ever seen in terms of movement. Could play anywhere. Could play left wing despite not having great pace. Would impact the games. I think now he'd probably play as an inside forward off the left. When I watch Musiala play, there's parts of his game that remind me of Raul. Now, they're, they're, they're different players. Obviously, Musiala's more, I suppose, a, an attacking midfielder. Raul was more of a striker, but I think they both thrive in that sort of off-the-striker kind of nine-and-a-half role. They can both obviously play wide. They've got similar type of gates, similar type of upright stance, similar balance. Neither of them have electric pace. Musiala has hints of Raul. I think Raul's a coin toss with Gerard as well. I do. I think he's a coin toss. So... I'm going to say there's there's three I would from that era, from 77 to 83. Players born in that seven-year span. I'm going to go yes on Kaka, yes on Ronaldinho, yes on Henri, and a coin toss on Raul, and a coin toss on Zlatan. And then Michael Essien. No, I'm just going to say no on Michael Essien. I was going to say no, Michael Essien. Um, and Toddy would, Toddy's a 76 birth, to be fair. So he's actually, you know, four years older than, than Stevie. So we, we won't, we won't go with him. Uh, that's that question then taken care of. Uh, last one, I think from the Discord. Do we have two more? Oh, we've got two more. Um, Matt JT, who are some of the names that aren't currently on the radar? for Liverpool that you think could be in the summer if they have big and impressive seasons this year. Um, and the positions he gives are right wing slash right side forward, defensive midfield, or uh, and left side centre back. So 
let's start with the defensive midfield role. Um, I've got I've got one that's a standout for me, and then a couple of others that I'm really interested to see. So the interesting ones, Christian Aslani from Inter Milan. Now he's not a pure defensive midfielder, but he has played a lot of football there and has the skill set to play there. So we need a little bit of converting, but he's one. Nico Sievold of Leipzig just moved there from Salzburg. He's another one that I really like the look of and I think would be a good fit in how Liverpool play. But my standout one is Lucas Gornadot, who I think if he has the season I expect him to have for Salzburg, I think he has to be top of the list. If you don't want to spend the big money on Decoure or Kamara or whoever, Paulinha, I think the one to look at is Lucas Gornadot. I think he's got pretty much everything you would want in that role. Um, like there's others, there's Fede Redondo, but I, I think he's more suited to La Liga. I don't think he's the type that Liverpool would go for. I don't think he's mobile enough. Um, but he is, he is fantastic. Um, again, there's obvious ones like Manu Kone, but I, I don't think we'll, well, I, I, I think he will be on the radar, but if I think he might be one we look at in the summer. All right, sorry, in, in, in January rather than waiting for summer with him. Um, Outside of them in that role, I mean, I really like Hayden Hackney of Borough. I really like Hayden Hackney. So I wouldn't be against us keeping a close eye on him. And if he goes up a level this year, then he's one I'd really like us to look at. But I don't know if he's under the radar because I have mentioned him a bunch and obviously plays in England. So he's someone that the people are, are familiar with. Um, is that it for that position? I think that's probably it in defensive midfield. Left side centre-back, the the one I've got that really stands out to me, now he, he can also play as a defensive midfielder, is Mikasa at Monaco. He is, I think, a particularly special prospect. Magasa, M-A-G-A-S-S-A. Um, I will not attempt to pronounce his first name. But he is a unit of a, of a fella. Like he's he's six two six three, well built, quick, aggressive, can dominate half the pitch. Like one side of the pitch just takes over that left side. He's left footed, so he'd be one for both defensive midfield and the left sided, um, the left sided centre back role. The other one for the left side centre back role that I really like, but. I worry that because of the move he's just made, he's now no longer a possibility for us. Is Abba Garcia or Silla, um, who's just moved from 
Club Bruges to Strasbourg. I really like him. Really, really like him. I think he's one to definitely keep an eye on. Um, obviously, there's the, the likes of Incapier and Ascio, a couple of others, but Silla is Silla and Magasa are the two I'd look at there. And right sided forward, right wing. I mean, his name's out there, Johan Bakayoko. He he's definitely one um to keep an eye on because he's definitely one the club have interest in. But beyond there, I mean the obvious ones, Bakayo Saka, everybody'd love him. Musa Diaby is now someone people are falling in love with. Um, I really like Brian and Bomo at Brentford. I'm not saying he's going to be the best winger in the world, but I think he's a really good player. Um, Nico Williams, Nico Williams of Athletic Club Bilbao. One that I think people should keep an eye on, and it's only... I don't know how much he's going to play this year is is what holds me back on this fella. Because he's only just joined Real Sociedad. He was meant to join Chelsea a couple of years ago. Um, But then the whole thing with Russia started. But Zakarian, the young Russian, he is really special. I, I think he is one that Liverpool should be keeping an eye on. Can play as a 10, but I really like him on on the right coming in field onto his left foot. He's got a lot of similar traits to Sabozlai. So he'd definitely be one um, who's high on my list. So there you go. And then I'll answer this this next one last. I'm going to do this one first. This is from Alex. Who are some players past or present who consistently strike a ball as cleanly as Dominic does? I'm not implying there aren't any. Just curious who comes to mind. The three who immediately come to mind are Frank Reichard, Stephen Gerrard, and Michael Balak. And I would say Balak is the closest to Dominic because he does it off both feet. Rude Hullet, sorry, Rude Hullet as well. Reichard was great. Rude Hullet was a better striker than Reichard. Rude Hullet, Frank Reichard, Gerrard, and Balak. There's, that'd be the four. And Balak is the closest to Dominic, I think. Uh, I have come up with an idea of an alternative way to end games without extra time or penalties and want your opinion. I've mostly stolen this from American college football, where each team gets a possession starting at the opponent's 25-yard line and runs a drive. If the offensive team scores, the defensive team must then match them or the game is over. It's the same thing in kind of in the NFL, isn't it? Where if you score, no, it's if you yeah, if you score a field goal, the opponents get a chance to go up and score. If you score a touchdown, the game ends. That's the, that's the difference. In college football, both teams are guaranteed a chance. I would use a similar concept where the attacking team starts at the ball, maybe 35 yards from goal, and attacks until they score or the defence clears the lines. If the goal is scored, the defence has a chance to match. The problem here is that college football in the NFL is a stop-start game. Football is a fluid game. 
So how do you define clearing the lines? Because if all it is is the ball goes out of play, that's all a defence would have to do. So there's probably ways to do this, but I think you'd have to you'd have to tweak it where maybe it was like the defence only had eight players or something, and the attack had a certain amount of time to score. You know, if they shoot and keeper saves it, is that it over? Or do they get to take a corner? Ball comes in, keeper catches it and boots it down the field. Is that is that it then over? Like I, I like the idea and I see where you're going, but I do I I don't think it would translate all that well, to be honest. Um right, last question is from Chris Colby. Thoughts on the big NBA trade from yesterday. Damian Lillard, Portland Trail Blazers legend, all-time great NBA player, one of the 75 greatest players of all time, has been traded from the Trail Blazers to the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, everybody expected that he was going to end up in Miami. That's where he wanted to go. But he's ended up on the Milwaukee Bucks. And it's a big trade involving, obviously, the the Bucks and the Trailblazers, but also the Phoenix Suns. So, Drew Holiday is going to Portland. DeAndre Ayton is going from Phoenix to Portland. Tumani Kamara is going to Portland. He was just drafted... Uh, this year in the second round by the Suns. There is a 2029 unprotected first round pick going from the Bucks to the Blazers and 2028 unprotected first round pick swaps, 2028 and 2030, uh, going from the Bucks to the Blazers. So for those who don't know, a pick swap is basically if you have the sixth pick in the draw and I have the 25th pick in the draw, I can take your pick because it's better than my pick. You get my pick, which means you still have a pick, but I get the better pick. Um, the Suns get Grayson Allen, Yusuf Nurkic, Nazir Little, and Keon Johnson. Um, I think the Bucks have stolen Dame. Being honest, I-, I love Drew Holiday. I think he's the best defensive guard in the league. But they basically gave up Drew Holiday, Grayson Allen, one first rounder, and two se- and two swaps, and that's it. Now, where this might work out really well for Portland, and why I love the trade for Portland, is that they can now turn Drew Holiday around and trade him elsewhere and potentially get, I would suggest, two first-round picks back. Even though he only has one year left in his contract, I do think pretty much every team contending in the league who can work the salaries will want him because he's he's outstanding. So Portland could end up with three first-round picks plus the two swaps, plus Kamara, plus Aiton. And Aiton's the big kind of get for them here because at 25 he's the former number one draft pick now they made a huge mistake Phoenix did selecting him because they could have had Luka Doncic but however uh, number one draft pick he's been 
hit and miss in his NBA career. He's a good player. He can score. He can rebound. You'd like him to be more aggressive defensively. You'd like him to be more aggressive in the post. You'd like him to be a little bit better in the pick and roll. But he fits in Portland with what they're looking to do. They've moved on from Dame. This is now Scoot Henderson's team. And if they run a backcourt of Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp with Anthony Simons then as the third guard, so they can play all three together, or Simons can step in for Scoot or for Sharp, that's really strong. Then they've got Aiton at the five, and I'm guessing Jeremy Grant plays the four for them. He's a really good player as well, but he is 29, so he's older. Shaden Sharp is 20, and Scoot Henderson, oh, actually, he's also 20. No, Scoot Henderson Henderson is 19, excuse me. So 25-year-old Aiton fits with them. By the time he's 29, they're going to be, I think, established all-stars. Grant is older, but they just gave Grant a big new contract. But I do think that pairing works. And I do think it can help them be a pretty decent team for the next couple of years, having Aiton and Grant while those two young guards learn. The question for me is, who plays at the three? So they've got a couple of options. Matisse Tybel is one. Great defensive player. Cannot shoot to save his life. But a great defensive player. Jabari Walker could play there. I haven't seen a huge amount of him. Don't know a whole bunch about him. Second round pick last year. Don't know much about Kamara. But Chris Murray is an interesting one. And Chris Murray, they picked this year in the in the first round of the draft. Um, brother of... What's his brother's name? His brother plays for Sacramento. Keegan Murray. He's the younger brother of Keegan Murray. Oh, twin brother of Keegan Murray. I didn't realize they were twins. But Keegan's bigger than him. Keegan's probably 15 pounds heavier. Keegan's more of a four. Chris looks like more of a three to me. So maybe he's the three. In which case, that's a pretty big team. Because Scoot's going to be a big point guard in terms of build. Not height, but build. Sharp is a decent-sized two guard. Murray could be a big three. The question is, can he shoot? 38% 38% from three in his sophomore year at college, but he was coming off the bench last season, only 33%. But he was scoring a lot and playing a starring role once his brother was off the team. Uh, they, they might well look to trade Grant, play Murray at the four, and build like that. And if they do that, they've got to get a young a young wing back in for, for Jeremy Grant. There will be interest in Jeremy Grant, no doubt. Just don't think they can trade until January. Um, I really like this trade for the Bucks, and I really like this trade for Portland, assuming they get good value for for Dame. I don't like the trade for Phoenix. Now, I understand why they wanted to give up Aiton, because there have been some chemistry issues. They've obviously gone all in with... Durant and with Bradley Beal. They probably want more depth behind them because they don't really have any other than guys on minimums. 
Grayson Allen's a, a decent player, but he always annoyed me because he's he's a bit of a cheat. And remember the tripping thing when he's at Duke? I never quite got over that. But he's a decent player. He's tough. He plays hard. He can shoot the ball. He's been 41% last year, 40% this year from three. So, you know, he can shoot the ball from the outside. He'll play, he'll play defense to the best of his ability. Keelan Johnson, I I don't really know. I mean, he was with the Clippers. He went to Portland as part of the, the trade for Norm Powell and Robert Covington. He didn't play a whole lot last year. I don't know is the honest answer. Now, he, he helps them in terms of depth. He gives them depth in the backcourt. So... It is something they needed. So, like, I get that. Nazir Little is a player I do like, and I, I do think he could maybe be their starting small forward. So they could go Booker, Beal, Little, KD. And that's fine. The scoring, great. Nazir Little works hard defensively, but needs to improve, especially as a help defender. But he's a good player, and he's still fairly young, 23. But I hate I hate the Nurkic pickup. I think he's a horrible fit. He's a good player, but he's a horrible fit. He's on a pretty sizable contract. And he's always injured. Like, last four seasons, eight games, 37 games, 56 games, 52 games. That's not good. Especially when KD has injury issues. Booker has injury issues. Belos has injury issues. So that's not great. You've now got four of your starting five have significant histories of injury. And I think he's got three years left on this contract with about 50-odd million. Now, it's a better deal for them than Aiton's deal because Aiton had, I think, 100 million or so left on his deal. But like, he's a good player. But there's nothing he's really outstanding at, I don't think. He's a decent passer, good rebounder. He's huge. Like He is huge. But against the elite of the elite, I, I think he struggles. And he is a bit, like, he's slow. He's ploddy. So I don't, I don't like it for the Suns. I love it for the Bucks because they get the best player in the trade. And it, it will hopefully mean that Giannis sees how committed they are and is willing to stay there long-term. And I think Giannis and Dame together is potentially devastating. Obviously, they've got some decent players around them. You know, you'll have um, Chris Middleton probably will play the two. I would guess Marjan Beauchamp might get an opportunity now to play the three. He was a first-round draft pick for them last year. Had some some flashes, some decent moments. Looks like he's got the right kind of length and agility on the wing. So, you know, I'd like to see him get those opportunities there. Then Giannis at the four, and obviously Lopez at the five. They don't have a whole bunch of depth. Malik Beasley's a decent player. Pat Connaughton's a de- decent player. I suppose Jay Crowder's a decent player. The other Lopez, Bobby Portis, 
yeah, to be fair, it's it's actually not too bad. It's actually not too bad. Um, but they need Jay Crowder to have a bounce back here. They cannot start Jay Crowder. Do not start Jay Crowder at the three, please. Either start Connaughton at the two and Middleton at the three, or ideally Middleton at the two and go Beauchamp at the three. Uh, so I, I do. I love it. I love it for Milwaukee. Um, and I, I'm in favor of players in the NBA staying with the franchise that drafts them. I really am. Um, especially, especially smaller franchises who, you know, the Bucks couldn't attract a great free agent. So they have to go out and trade. A couple of years ago, they went and traded for, for, for Drew Holiday. That convinced Giannis they were committed, signed on. They went and won their title. Now he's made noises about, you know, wanting to see the commitment from them. They've made this big trade. They are all in. They have nothing left to trade. They could maybe package together a couple of these, a couple of these bench players. But I don't know what, I don't know what they'd get back for them. I think, I think this just made them the comprehensive favorites in the East though. So right now, if I'm picking, I'm picking, I'm picking the Bucks against the Nuggets in the finals. Uh, we'll go to break when we come back. Quick bit of news and the gossip. See you after this. All right, welcome back. So uh, we have some bits and bobs of news. Uh, Houston Dynamo defeated Lionel Messi less. Inter Miami 2-1 to win the US Open Cup last night. Uh, blow for Inter Miami and obviously disappointing for Messi, but he was not able to play. Police raid referees HQ as part of Barcelona investigation. So Spanish police raided the offices of the referees committee as part of an investigation into Barcelona's alleged corruption to payment of payments to officials. This is this is just getting worse and worse for Barcelona. Um, every time you t- look on look at the news, there is something new where they're just getting deeper and deeper in the shit. So, yeah. Not ideal. Not ideal for one of the biggest clubs in the world to be in such a bad state. Uh, Chelsea's win must be turning points as Pochettino. I'd imagine I'd imagine he's starting to feel the pressure just a little bit. Um, High-profile presenters should be allowed to express their views on issues and policies, but stop short of political campaigning. A new BBC report says new rules have been published for BBC flagship presenters following a row over Gary Lineker's social media posts. It comes after a review into BBC social media guidelines was published by former ITN boss John Hardy. Lineker has said the rules are all very sensible. So does that. While we're on the topic of the BBC, I'll just invite you to go and Google BBC Ben Jacobs. And I'll leave it there and move on. Paul Heckenbottom has the support of the owner, says Paul Heckenbottom. 
Um, for now, maybe for now. Aaron Ramsey is set to miss Wales game with Croatia in Cardiff on October 15th. He picked up a knee injury in training for Cardiff. So that's a huge blow for the Welsh. Uh, Liverpool have agreed to sell a minority stake in the club worth 164 million. Worth between 100, sorry, between 82 and 164 million. The new investment will be primarily used to pay off the club's bank debt. So that seems like good news that they're keeping the balance sheet looking nice and healthy, paying off the debt, which is accumulated from the uh, improvements that were made to Anfield. Don't really see much reason for this to factor into my thoughts a whole lot. At, at $164 million, they're basically buying 5% of the club. $82 million is about 2.5% of the club. So it, it's a very, very small investment. Um, Celtic manager Brendan Rodgers is open to offering advice and loan signing to new Inverness manager Duncan Ferguson. <laughs> oh, it couldn't get any better. It couldn't get any better. Imagine... Imagine taking his phone, ringing that idiot. Um, no, no, no. Oh, wow. Scunthorpe United owner David Hilton has withdrawn funding and the club are now to play away from Glanford Park. Owner David Hilton has withdrawn funding for the club who now play games away from Glanford Park because of a land dispute. Having already put the club up for sale, a statement said Hilton feels his position is untenable and is actively seeking a way out. The National League North Club say they will leave Glanford Park after hosting Brackley on the 7th of October. They will play home games 16 miles away at Gainsborough Trinity. However, Gainsborough have said that the statement was issued without the knowledge or consent of their club. Whilst the club has always been clear that any requests from Scunthorpe to play fixtures at the Cal Group Stadium would be considered. This would have to be done by due process, which would involve both clubs and the ground owner. Glanford Park remains the property of former Scunthorpe owner Peter Swan. There's a there's a trial going on with regards to that, uh, which is scheduled for January. Oh, this is not good at all. Hilton only took over the club in January, just gone. Has developed a difficult relationship with supporters. He wanted to move the training ground as a cost-cutting... Move training to Ilkeston as a cost-cutting measure. I don't know why supporters would actually claim, would care too much about that, as long as the facilities were... Up to scratch. Um, but yeah, hopefully that gets sorted. Hopefully, hopefully we don't see Scunthorpe do a berry. It really wouldn't be, really wouldn't be good. Um, Marseille have made a change of manager. Marcelino has resigned and Reno Gattuso has taken over until next summer with the option to extend for another year. Marseille are currently eighth in the French League. They've not started the season well. 
<clears throat> and Marcelinho was not getting on well with the fans. Um, I mean, Reno Gattuso was not a good manager, so I, I don't like that appointment for them. On to the gossip then. Brighton manager Roberto De Zerbi and Bayer Leverkusen manager Xabi Alonso are contenders to replace Carlo Ancelotti at Real Madrid should he leave when his contract expires at the end of the season. Manchester United insiders say the relationship between Eric Ten Hag and Jadon Sancho is beyond repair. Saudi Arabian clubs will lead the chase for Victor Osterman should he leave the, cl- leave the club in January. Oh my God, he can't go there. He's 24 years of age. He can't go to Saudi Arabia. Real is my is my guess. I think he goes to Real. They'll get Mbappe on a free. He wants to play wide or off a striker. He doesn't want to be the nine. Him and Osman would be sensational. So if you line up, let's say Valverde plays on the right of a midfield four, Vinny plays on the left of the midfield four, but as a winger, Mbappe plays off Osman, and then you've got Bellingham and Chumeni in your midfield. Then you slide Kamavinga to left back. You've got Alaba as the left side centre-back. Militao as the right side centre-back. You'd you'd be a right-back short of having a really, really, really good team. (laughs) Really good team. Like, if they could get... Now, they won't get this guy because I don't think his club would sell him, but if they could get Hakimi, who they once had and let go for reasons only to them, um, that would be perfect. But yeah, they need a Hakimi-type right-back to complete that team. Um, the centre-backs are not great. Militao's good. Alaba's good. Alaba's a great left-back, but you've got to put Camavinga at left-back if you're playing that 4-4-2 because Chumeni, I think, has to be in with Bellingham in the double pivot. Valverde would have to be right. Now, you could play Valverde at right-back and you could maybe play Bellingham as a narrow right-hand side of the midfield and that would work. And then Alaba at left-back, you'd need a centre-back. Probably easier to find that centre-back. Um, Manchester United are planning to open talks with Hanno Mejbri. United are planning talks with Eric Ten Hag over a new contract. I mean, for what? Chelsea are in the market for a new left-back. This can't be real. It can't be real. They've got Chilwell, who's England's first choice. They've got Kukure and they've got Ian Matson. They can't be in the market for the left-back. Sheffield United have spoken to Chris Wilder over the possibility of replacing Paul Heckenbottom. I said last week, I don't like that. Roma are considering a move for Eric Dyer. That would be very Mourinho. Uh, Everton's financial future could be in doubt if the takeover by 777 Partners is not approved. 777 Partners is confident of passing the Premier League owners and directors test and has begun dialogue with Everton fan fan groups to ease supporters' concerns. They're right to have some concerns. Newcastle boss Eddie Howe wants to sign a central defender in the January window. They need a right-side centre-back, so that's fair. Newcastle ended their shirt deal with Castore over concerns about the quality of their merchandise. Did they? Because I'm looking at their kit and it, it's the same. It's it's Castore. Um Maybe it ends after this season. Maybe they've cut it short after this season. I'm guessing that's the case. There's obviously issues with with those kits and and Villa are having them at the moment. 
Uh, Saudi Arabia are considering recruiting referees from the Premier League and across Europe on a full-time basis. They must want crap referees. That's all I can think of there. And that's it. That's all I've got. I'll see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy the rain. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.